The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. The witness of peace is to be transformed in our lives so that we might be instruments of God's transforming power in this world. Years ago, a good friend of mine gave me a book, this book, Make Me an Instrument of Your Peace, Living in the Spirit of the Prayer of St. Francis. And it, its jacket is covered in the plastic that you think of when you have an old book so that the jacket is preserved. And on the inside cover, it says First Ed. And it took me a minute or two because I wondered who Ed was. But then I noticed the period and realized that it was a first edition book. And I thought, I thought that I had a great book in my hands. Then I turned the page to the publishing information and found out it was written by some guy named Kent and printed in 1999. It's still probably the only edition. But in reorganizing where I keep books between the office and the house, I I came across it and I began reading it again in this season that we're listening to Jesus' words in the resurrection, peace be with you. And even though it's just a book, it's turning out to be a really good book. Um, Jesus, again, we hear him as he appears to the disciples in the upper room behind locked doors, and the first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. And I've mentioned it before, and you'll you'll hear it again from me. I think these may be some of the most critical words that we can share as followers of Jesus Christ. So share them with somebody right now near you, say to them, look them in their eyes and say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I, 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 don't, I, don't, know, I don't know what that does to your soul, but, but it impacts my heart, soul, and mind when someone looks at me and says, peace. It, it, it brings a quality of stillness that reminds me I'm not really in charge or in control of anybody but me or anything but my responses. Now, I've got responsibilities. We all have lots of responsibilities about all kinds of things, but, but the place that I can have the most influence every day is right here. 
Jesus said to the disciples, peace be with you. And then he said, don't be frightened and don't doubt. I mean, I don't know know how I would have reacted in the upper room, having seen him crucified, having seen him buried, and huddling for fear with my closest friends. And there he is, right there. I imagine that I would be frightened. I imagine that I would doubt. And so to calm their fears and to alleviate their doubts, he says, look at me. Touch me. See my hands. See my feet. By the way, do you have, any, do you have anything to eat? I don't, I, don't, I don't think he was hungry at that point. I think he wanted something to eat to show them that he was also, in fact, a body that could take in nourishment, that could receive nourishment of God's presence in food, and that he was real live bodily resurrection in this life. And then after proving his point in that way, he began to recount for them the story of the people, beginning with Moses and opening the law and the prophets and their minds to remember what he had already said and to share again the stories that have shaped their lives and to bring them to completion and fulfillment. The way we tell that story now is to recount the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we heard on Easter Day, it's not the empty grave that changes our lives, that gives us peace, that alleviates our doubts and fears. It's the presence of the risen Christ in our lives that shapes us into who we are. And, and just then, in this story we heard read from Luke's account, we, we hear these words, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus doesn't say, one day you'll be called to bear testimony. Jesus doesn't say, you you need to study these things so that you can be good witnesses. He names the disciples and he names us right now in this moment as witnesses of his life, death, and resurrection and the transforming power of his life, death, and resurrection and his presence in our lives today. Now, before you receive that naming, you might want to know that the Greek word for witnesses is martyr. It used to be just witnesses, but in, in, since the time of Christ, it has come to mean those who have given their life because of their beliefs. And, and Christian martyrdom is not something about which we think of anymore. Not since Constantine came to faith and made being Christian legal. 
We think of it more, more, more of, of, of Diocletian and Nero and those who persecuted and prosecuted and martyred the early Christians. But on Easter Day, we heard news of Christians who were martyred in Sri Lanka. Since then, we have heard further news of Christians who have been martyred in Africa because of their faith. Not murdered, martyred. It, 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 it's a real thing today. And, and, and it began with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He bore testimony to his faith that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they stoned him. Now, now what does it mean today for, for us when we don't live in places where Christians are being actively persecuted? Well, it, 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 it may mean in, in times of difficulty, in times of societal change, that, that the witness of peace becomes nonviolent resistance. In our lifetime, many of us have, have, have witnessed that in, in the civil rights movement of the 60s. And we've seen that most emphatically in Martin Luther King Jr., who learned that from studying Gandhi's work in India to bring independence from England. The witness of peace might be nonviolent resistance. It might be active collaboration against evil powers of this world that we saw during World War II in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred by being hanged at the personal order of the Fuhrer. But what about for us in Beaumont, Texas? How does all of that play out when, when, when we think of our circles of influence and the spheres in which we operate and live I believe the greatest witness for peace is a life lived well in the name of Christ. So how do we do that? Well, I turn back to, back to Christ's words. He, he said, stay in the city. And for 179 years, Methodists at First Methodist, have stayed in the city. And, and just over 50 years ago, we made a choice that when much of this city seemed to be moving westward, that we would remain downtown. So we have received Christ's instructions and we have chosen to stay in the city. Hear this word from Isaiah chapter 26. On that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God sets up victory like walls and bulwarks. Open the gates so that the righteous nation that keeps the faith may enter in. Those of steadfast mind you keep in peace. In peace because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord God you have an everlasting rock. 
We have those walls and bulwarks. We have those doors and gates to open up. And we trust in God to lead us into a preferred future for continued ministry that will transform lives as God has transformed our life. Amen? I mean, I believe that. But I'm supposed to believe that. I'm the pastor. But the way that that has impact in this city is if we all believe that in our bones that God is still at work in this city, that God desires the growth and health of every congregation, and that God desires that Christians today participate in the changing of lives for the future. We all have to believe that in our bones. Because belief precedes practice. Wesley told his young preachers when the Methodist movement was starting out, he said, preach faith until you have it. And there are days like that for all of us. Preach faith until you have it. Reminiscent of, of, of the the boy's father who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we stay in this strong city and we open the doors for all God's people to love and serve together. Then Jesus said, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We'll celebrate that in a couple weeks, the day of Pentecost. Through that Holy Spirit, I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this from Colossians 3. Every item in your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with His label on it. I I don't know whose label's on your clothes. I think it's great. Have a label on your clothes. Somebody made it. But the label on our clothes as Christians is the label God. Paul continues and said, So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Wouldn't that be great? Every morning you wake up and you're getting ready for your day and there are your clothes laid out for you, picked by God. And you don't have to make any decisions or choices about them. Would anybody like that? (laughs) I've got about four shirts and a couple different color of trousers and um, whatever's clean and closest to the front of of the closet is what I put on. And I've got brown shoes. Paul says, dress in this wardrobe that God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense, 
Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Isn't that something to dress in? Always, whatever else we wear, however else we think, however else we act, love becomes the core of our being. The very first thought, the very first motive, the very first word is love. So I started reading this book, and in it, Kent Nurburn tells a story of a prodigy who played the violin, and she'd performed with major symphonies both in North America and in Europe. And then suddenly in her 20s, she put the violin down completely and picked up the viola. Kent met her while train traveling in Canada and, and wrote this. Why, I asked her, would you turn away from an instrument of such color and vibrancy, so favored by composer and revered in the orchestra, and turn to so quiet, recessive, and generally overlooked and unappreciated an instrument as the viola. Her answer was simple and direct. She said, I like its voice. It's more me. Kent continues and wrote, most of us do not live special lives. We are seldom called upon to make great pronouncements or to perform heroic deeds. We fall in love, we raise children, we have heartbreaks, we help those in need when we can. We go to our beds at night uncertain whether our actions have had any effect. But when Francis calls us to pray to be instruments of God and instruments of God's peace, he is reminding us to honor our own part in the music of creation, no matter how humble or great. He was reminding us that what we are asked to do may be no more than to offer a trill to the coming dawn or to play soft, pure notes beneath the bright music of the violin. But if we humbly accept our part as a gift and play it well, we will have done our small part to help create the symphony of God's voice. If we humbly accept our part as a gift and play it well, we will have done our small part to help create the symphony of God's voice. That is the witness of peace that Christ names in us. 
to do our part in this world. One of our young followers of Jesus said it this way, if everyone will be kind to one person, we can change our world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.lovebeaumont.com.